Good morning again, Solano family. It's good to be with you. I always enjoy. I get nervously excited about bringing God's word and sharing with you. Um, this morning, I would love to take you a little bit deeper on our journey, our sermon series, Free From Shame is where we've been. This is our third week of this five-week series. Pastor Andrew began a few weeks ago, and I encourage you, if, you've, if it's your first time, you haven't been around, you missed it, to get online and listen to the first two sermons in our series, Intended for Shame. We get this vision of what God intended for us. In chapter 2 of Genesis is where pastor took us to look at Adam and Eve in the garden. And I love what it says in verse 25. And they were, the man and the woman were both naked and unashamed. God's intended purpose for us. His original design. But because of sin, deception from the evil one, the woman and the man disobeyed. And they were ashamed. They hit themselves. No, last week, Pastor Andrew looked at sources of shame. A look at the, what I would say, the, some shameful snapshots from David's life. And from that, distilled down three sources of shame. Shame that you experienced because of something you've done. Something done to you. Or something about you. Sources of shame. But one cross, one cross, one Jesus to heal of the shame. This morning, I want to talk about acknowledging shame. Acknowledging shame. What it means to have this powerful emotion brought into the light, called out by Jesus and having a healthy community, some healthy folks that love you to aid you in your healing. See, shame, this powerful emotion, I've been reading a good sister in the Lord who's also an excellent research professor, Brene Brown. Anybody familiar with Brene Brown? You know her stuff? She's good. She's good. She talks about shame. One of her books, uh, Dare to Lead, she has a whole chapter called Shame and Empathy. And, oh, man, I'm reading this chapter, and I'm just drawn in. She's sharing about a shameful moment in her life. She suffered a severe concussion just recently, not too long ago. So she's writing about it and what the impact of it on her life. And she, she calls shame the power emotion. This quote from her I love. It's really good. It says, uh, it can stalk us over time or wash over us in a second. Either way, it's power to make us feel we're not worthy of connection, belonging, even love. It's unmatched in the realm of emotion. The power of shame. 
she talks about how coworkers were trying to get her to, you know, calm down. You can't, you can't do. You know, you got your book tour, you got all this going on, but you got to just, you don't have a choice in this. And that was hard for her. This idea of being sick and illness is what researchers call unwanted identity. Unwanted identity. And for her, that was just not cool. I mean, she grew up where, where being sick was equated with weakness. Now, in other people, that's, that's all right. You know, when other people are, are sick, you know, that's an opportunity to help them, you know, to serve them. But for her and her family, and I can echo with this one, being sick is not an option. No, you just get up, shake it off. You'll be all right. You know, ain't no time to be sick. Now, my mom, you know, I'm the oldest of a lot of kids. And um, I never saw her, like, sick or not doing. She was always going. I remember one time she got sick. One time. It just wasn't an option. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Sickness is weakness. And the painful journey for her and I echo is unlearning that shameful belief that my sickness, my physical limitations cause me to look weak. And therefore, I'm not good enough. This kind of shame will haunt you, haunts me. And either slowly or suddenly, as you lose control of the one thing that made you you. And for me, it was my body. For her, it was her mind. Unwanted identity. Let me say, again, this morning, I want to unpack this idea of acknowledging our shame. Because shame loves the darkness. And it loves silence. Here's her definition of shame. See if this resonates with you. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, or connection. We got these shameful tapes playing audio and video for some of us, like me. In our heads, these lies that we get fed, and then the sick thing is we begin to believe them. We believe the lies about us. She says there's this like one, two, threes of shame, right? Uh, number one is that We've all got it. Everybody's got shame. Where I'm from, we would say, everybody got shame. It's universal. Since the beginning of creation. She believes that the only people that do not experience shame are those who lack the capacity for empathy or human connection. Mm. So, in other words, <laughs> here's your options. 
own your stuff, own your shame, or admit that you're a sociopath. That's real. We all got it. Number two, we're all afraid to talk about it, though. I mean, who wants to talk about, besides some, who wants to talk about shame? Just the, just the word is uncomfortable. And three, the less we talk about our shame, the more control it has over us. Shame loves the dark and thrives in silence. We've got to fight. We got to have courage. And we need grace to bring that light, bring the light over our shame. So this morning, we're going to look at a story of a woman who understood unwanted identity and shame. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. I want to make sure you get one. We got people. Terry's going to get you a Bible. If you need one, raise your hand. If you don't have one, consider this a gift that you can take for yourself. But I want you to follow with me so you don't think I'm making up this story because it's good. It's in Mark. The story is so powerful that three out of four of the gospel writers record this story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each share different details. And I'm going to bounce and draw from all three to give you a full picture. And from this, uh, there's a key biblical truth. This one big idea that if you don't remember anything that I shared this morning, you'll remember this. And that's as followers of Jesus Christ. When we experience, the, experience shame, in order for us to be healed and free, we must place our hope and our faith in the power that flows from our loving and compassionate God. Let's say it again. As followers of Jesus Christ, when we, because we will all experience shame, when we do, in order to be free and healed, we must place our hope, our faith, in the power that flows from our loving and compassionate God. This story again is of a woman who heard the report of the Lord and with hope came to Jesus. Join me. I'm going to begin at verse 24, but the second sentence of that verse that starts, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, 
If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Hallelujah. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Almighty Spirit, have your way. Hmm. Whose report will you believe? Solano, whose report will you believe? I had a teacher in grade school said, say things three times. Solano, whose report will you believe? This sister here, after 12 years of suffering and affliction, this is what she had, an affliction. Luke's account of the story, the physician, Luke the physician, right, used medical terms in his telling of the story. And he describes what she had as a matix. That's the word in the Greek. It was, it was a condition that was similar to that of a flogging, torment, it was an affliction. It wasn't just not to minimize anything. I mean, because, because of the laws in Leviticus chapter 15, a woman would be put aside during her menstrual period, right? For seven days, she was considered unclean. Now, from your pastor, I, I give this to you as, uh, you know, if you ever get sleepless, can't sleep, you've tried Tylenol PM, you've tried metatonum, tenum, tenum. It's a natural substance that my wife uses. You've tried everything. Well, I encourage you to get the book of Leviticus. <laughs> now, it'll start off real interesting. I mean, you'll see some stuff like in chapter 15, when it talks about laws about bodily discharge for men and women. But for the sisters, I'm like, my goodness, right? Anything she would touch or touched her was unclean for seven days until the purification. Well, this sister, 12 years, no touch, no community, no connection, no belonging. How can a person bleed that long and not die or want to be dead? 
this disease that she had, probably a tumor that was causing internal hemorrhaging for 12 years. She was banished from community, from the synagogue and the temple, an outcast. And she tried doctors for 12 years and only got worse. Now, I read some of the reports about what remedies were done for people in this condition. <laughs> okay, so they would give the patient a goblet of wine that had a powdered substance made of rubber, alum, which is a chemical compound associated with potassium, and garden crocus. It's a flower. So they would crush this up, make a powder, put it in the goblet, in the wine, and make the person drink it. Another one. They would take a dose of Persian onions and cook it in wine and make them drink it. Or doctors would cut straight to the chase and put them in sudden shock. And if that didn't work, they, they would take the ash from an ostrich egg, wrap it in a cloth, and make them wear it. No wonder she got worse. But this is what they believe they had to do. For 12 years, she spent all her money to get well. But she heard the report of Jesus. But she heard the report of Jesus. Because I'm wondering to myself, and maybe you were too, why on earth would this woman risk so much public shame to meet Jesus? Now, we began reading about the crowd, the great crowd that was following him, that were pressing around him. And for whatever reason, I believe hope, hope, because she heard the reports of Jesus. And so I'm looking at this, and there are, maybe she heard one of these reports. Like in Mark chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Or maybe she heard what's written written in uh, chapter 6 and 56. And whenever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that, he, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. She heard the report about Jesus, that he had the kind of power that if you touched him, even his clothes, you might be made well. His garment. You see, those good, upstanding Jews in, their, in those days 
were told back in Numbers, they were to wear an outer garment. And this outer garment had a trim made of tassels. And so Jesus, more than likely, had this kind of outer garment. And this woman, as a child, when I would hear this story, I just pictured her, like, in this crowd. And if she's just trying to touch the the edge of his garment, she might have been on her hands and knees, trying to press through the crowd, getting stepped on. But her hope that if she would just touch him, being God, Jesus, embodied power, and compassion, and her faith reached out and touched his power. And it says, immediately that flow of blood dried up. The image I get is that of a fountain or a spring that has an origin, and that just dried up and stopped. And she felt it and knew she was healed. She felt it that she was healed. And then wanting to stay, you know, in the, you know, just keep it. I got what I needed. I'm out. Jesus says, who touched me? Who touched me? <laughs> just a picture. Because uh, Luke tells the detail. It was actually Peter. Peter. Lord, really, really, <laughs> really. Who touched you, really? <laughs> look, look around you, bro. <laughs> There's a whole lot of people up in here. How are you going to go with somebody who touched you? But Jesus felt, he said, I felt power go out from me. Yeah, I know people touching me, but there was a touch that had faith at the fingertips. Who was it? Who was it? I want to see that person. It reminds me of what he did with, with Adam and Eve when they had ran and took the fig leaves and jumped off behind a bush. And Jesus, well, God the Father comes on that day in the cool of the day, and he was walking, and he asked, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? God, being omniscient, didn't need to know. He wanted Adam to acknowledge. Who touched me? I want to see the person who touched me. She comes out fearful and trembling, and it says she told the whole truth, the whole story, the pain, the doctors, being poor, being an outcast. But I touched you. I touched you. I believe you could heal me, and I touched you, and you healed me. And he says, daughter, he didn't say one. Really? You know how much I pay? Why are you going to be trying? Daughter, your faith has made you well. That's also translated, made you whole. And it's also the same word used for saved. Saved. Baby girl, you're not just healed. You're saved. That's why I call you daughter. Your faith, faith like that, causes me to move. 
Go and be blessed. Peace go with you. All because she believed. So again, the question that begs an answer, Solano, whose report will you believe? There's a song we would sing back in the day. Miguel and I were laughing and singing in the office this week. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. His report says, I am healed. His report says, I am filled. His report says, I am free. His report says, victory. Whose report will you believe? You see, I got a report. I got a report a couple of weeks ago. Many of you might know that your pastor's been on a, a journey. This woman had an issue with blood. Your pastor got issues. Health issues. My wife and family would say mental issues, too, but... God heals, <laughs> just one touch. I went to my new doctor this year after getting prayed for by a blessed sister because I was a little tired from going from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor, getting reports. So this doctor tells me a couple months ago, he says, you know what, you're a complicated patient. <laughs> That's the report I got. You're a complicated patient. I'm sure this sister might have gotten that maybe by year three or four when they realized this, this blood wouldn't stop flowing. You're a complicated patient. And immediately, the shame clouds rolled in. And I began to think, and translate what I heard from him as, you're going to never be healed, dude. And you keep going from doctors, you don't change doctors. And see, those voices that come to us in stereo usually have like two different voices. Either you're not good enough, or who do you think you are? And Brene Brown says those voices are gremlin-like. Y'all remember the gremlins back in the 80s? Imagine a gremlin telling you, you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? That's what I hear. That's what I hear in my head. That's what I heard. <laughs> but just believe. So... Some months ago, many of you gathered at Pastor Andrew's call to pray for your pastor, to pray for me, to lay hands on me, anoint me with oil. It's what the Bible says we should do. If any among you are sick, call on the elders to pray. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, sure, I want prayer. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy, yeah, I got the whole church praying and stuff, you know. What if I don't? We have nothing changes. 
And they said this, this tumor thing that got removed, it takes maybe years for this thing to heal. How many of you have never asked God for healing because you're afraid of being disappointed? What if it don't work, God? So I sat there that night, you know. Many of you came. God bless you. Thank you so much. But I have to confess that your pastor had little faith that night. I did. But my wife sat next to me. They prayed over us. And she believed. She believed. And many of you believed. Because, you know, when your faith is small, the faith of friends, God will respond to. So I can stand before you today free of diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I'm getting my hair back. Huh. Whose report will you believe? I stand before you because I want to share with you hope that you might believe in the report of the Lord. And when he calls you to step forward, will you acknowledge your need for him? I told you I had issues, and I'm thankful that God is healing me. Many of you might and probably can identify with this issue I have that I'm being healed of. It's called daddy issues. Anybody got a daddy issue? Okay, you keep that in the dark. That's all right. It's all good. It's all... <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I'm in the light. Because you see, I got two daddies, right? My biological father and my mom fell in love. They were high school sweethearts. He was the uh, football star, and she was the dancer. And they had me out of wedlock. So there they are in their senior year. She's pregnant, and he's scared because his mama told him, you get any girl pregnant, you're going to stop what you're doing, and you're going to raise that baby. Ah, he wasn't ready. Meanwhile, my mom meets Jesus. They both were raised in the projects. So when she found Jesus, her life turned upside down. Oh, she was for real. My dad still remembers. He would tell me the story about I don't know what happened, man. Your mom just got all serious. Talking about getting married and stuff. I just wasn't ready. So he went off to the military. He wasn't there when I was born. On my birth certificate, there's mother's name, Vivian Ann Upshaw. Father's name, blank. When I was two, she married my stepdad. A young minister out of the military, real passionate about God, very religious. But he didn't adopt me, so I never carried his name. I've carried my mother's name, Upshaw. 
And for years, I carried this name with shame. See, they told him at the church he was attending that, you know, that girl got a baby, man. That's a bastard child. You better watch out for the daddy, too. You never know. So he rejected me. Fast forward, you know, I'm a young man now. And one Sunday, I don't know what it was, I got so emotional, I couldn't control it. I ran to my room. My mom came after me, like, baby, what's wrong? And I just burst out. Why doesn't he love me? Why? And I meant both of them. I hated both of my dads. One left me, and this one I'm staying with hates me. Fast forward. In college, I meet Jesus. I mean, for real, I met him. I, mean, I was a church boy. I met him. I met Jesus. I wanted, I wanted what they've got. But there was still this hole in my heart. Still, I, I couldn't say Father in heaven. What is that? All right, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, I, I, I didn't understand that, really. Until one night, one of the deacons in our church, I had started preaching around Atlanta, ministering, and I thought that might win my stepdad's heart. Hey, man, I'm preaching this stuff. You're going to? Nothing. It's never affirmed my ministry. That night, the deacon was listening to me. For whatever reason, I just dumped the whole truth how I saw myself, my family. He listened in silence. And at one point, I looked over at him, and he had a tear coming out of his eye. You know, I'm like, oh, boy. You know, he said, Dante, I want you to know something. Jesus understands. <laughs> I'm like, what? Man, I don't dump my whole heart out. You're going to tell me, Jesus understands? Oh, come on, Really? No, brother, I'm serious. He does. You see, Jesus had a stepdaddy, too. Yeah. You know the nativity story. The Spirit of God came upon Mary, and she conceived a son. They called him Jesus. Joseph was like Jesus' stepdad. He wasn't his biological dad. So, brother, whenever you cry out to God, Jesus understands, and he listens. I heard him. That night, I prayed. The next morning, I prayed. I prayed a long time, people. But I remember my 35th birthday. I got out my birth certificate for some reason, and I looked at it. I saw it. Vivian Ann Upshaw. And as I studied that morning in my quiet time with the Lord, the verse came to my mind about the spirit bears witness with us that we are woo, adopted. You see, freedom to me looks like adoption. That Jesus, my God, wrote his name on that father line. So when I pray now and I say daddy in heaven, because the spirit helps me to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. So no longer I believe this report about being a bastard. Nope. 
I'm adopted. I'm adopted. I don't know your shame story, but I want to tell you of one who does, who understands, and has the love and compassion to heal. Maybe you're here today, and you don't know personally of this Jesus that I'm talking about. But like that woman who came because she believed something and was hoping something, he touched and healed her, and he saved her. Many of you, if not all of us, we got issues and maybe you are trying to fix your issue, you're using intellect, you're using technology, political parties, it won't work. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. So I invite you today to consider this one. Oh, I plead with you. I plead with you. I beg you to consider this one who knows you, he sees you. He's calling you. Maybe today might be the day that you answer. I'm here. I love to talk with you. We got other leaders would love to tell you about this, Jesus. Hmm. Gracious God, Daddy in heaven, I love you. It's me, your son, and I'm here with all my sisters and brothers. And God, thank you that you see us. Thank you that you're gentle and kind. You're slow to anger. You're so patient. And we're here. I want to reach out to you and trust that you're able to heal and deliver. Oh, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Pray this in your name, sweet Jesus.